Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, this is Dr. Christopher Perrin, and this is the Cafe Scole podcast. Welcome to another podcast episode in which we seek to bring restful, contemplative learning back to our schools, homeschools, and lives. That is to say, to bring Scole back to school. In this particular podcast, we'll be considering Scole in the classical tradition. If you heard the opening or first podcast, we gave a kind of introduction to the whole idea of restful learning, leisure, Scole, and even the Sabbath, because the Sabbath is related to shalom. Rest is related to peace. And isn't that something that we were all made for and that we all yearn for? In this particular podcast, we want to look at the way Scole was thought about and described by those in the classical tradition. And by the classical tradition, I mean primarily the Greek tradition, the tradition of Homer, Plato, and Aristotle. Those amazing Greek thinkers even apart from the revelation of the Old Testament at the time, uh, were able to discover and describe some things that were very true, that remain very true about humanity, about who we are, about what we really long for, and what the highest human things are. We might uh, think of the transcendentals of the true, good, and beautiful that Plato talked about so much. Are we designed such that we want and look for the things that are true, good, and beautiful? Do we have the capacities as human beings to discover and appreciate and describe the things that are true, good, and beautiful? And if so, are these some of the highest things? Well, these kinds of questions and ideas were explored by the Greeks, by Homer, and particularly Plato and Aristotle. So we'll We'll want to know something about that, even as we move into the third podcast, which will be in a couple of weeks, which will be Scole in the ecclesial or church tradition. So, travel with me as we consider Scole in the classical tradition. By now, I hope you know that Scole is a Greek word, and it's often translated leisure in English, but that doesn't really get at what Scole in Greek really means. It means something like, undistracted time, to study the things that are most worthwhile, to contemplate, to reflect, to have conversation with your best friends about the best things, usually in a place that's beautiful and usually with good food and drink. Ironically, skole is the Greek root word for our English word school and for a lot of other uh, romance language words for school. For example, scuola in Italian and escuela in Spanish, and école in French, and school in German. But it's the root word of our, for our English word, school, as well. And, of course, we think that we need to bring a bit more 
Scolé into school. Well, in a modern book written maybe seven years ago now by Tony Wagner, Dr. Tony Wagner, a Harvard education professor, the book is The Global Achievement Gap. In this book, Tony Wagner conducted a study of government, military, and business leaders, and he wanted to know what were the essential skills, what he ended up calling survival skills, that were needed for human beings to thrive in government, military, and business service. He ended up listing seven survival skills, and among these seven survival skills, we find things like agility and the ability to adapt, uh, the ability to collaborate collegially with other workers, um, effective oral and written communication. It also includes uh, curiosity and imagination. It turns out, he says, that what, what are really needed as survival skills in this modern world that we live in is the fruit of a liberal arts education, and it includes curiosity and imagination. We might use words like wonder, and the concept of scolé is deeply connected to imagination, to reflection. In fact, for Aristotle, we'll see the highest human activity was contemplation, reflection, what he called theoria in Greek. And theoria is a word that gives birth to our English word theory. And it has to do with being able to perceive and see things, to see, as it were, with the mind's eye through contemplation. So, interestingly, even modern thinkers are beginning to, through their research, uh, find themselves once again bumping into this classical tradition that says that imagination, conversation, collegiality, adaptability, contemplation, these things are important for meaningful and exceptionally good work, learning, and citizenship and even leadership. Because, as we'll see, scolé, this understacted time to study things that are most worthwhile, allow us to think, to reason deeply, and to communicate effectively. Well, the early beginnings of scolé go all the way back to Homer. Homer, who we think was writing around 800 BC. Homer recommended scolé as that which helps to cultivate excellence, or erete, the Greek word for virtue or excellence. Scolé was important to cultivate human capacity or excellence or virtue in human beings. And his method of scolé included storytelling, contemplation, and, uh, as we can see, even hospitality and good meals with friends. Plato however, is really the first great educational theorist, the one who talks theoretically about what education is or could or should be. He lived from about 428 to 348 BC. He described early education, you might think of, say, K-6 through education, he described it as a form or a kind of music. In fact, the Greek word for this kind of early education, is musike. Musike meant education. Because he saw that education of children should involve a kind of harmonizing of that child or that child's soul 
with the harmony that pre-existed him or her in the universe, the universe itself, stars above, the world, the land, everything we observe has a kind of music or harmony, and beginning to tune one's heart with that music, if you will, was an important first step to becoming an educated person, to see and perceive harmony and then seek it yourself. This is why even gymnastic education, the education of the body, was a form of musical education because we wanted to learn how to bring our bodies into a self-governed harmony and a kind of governed harmony with other human beings and with nature. So just learning a kind of bodily self-control was a kind of harmonia, a kind of music. And then, of course, mathematics itself is a form of music, especially when we think of musical theory and the musical ratios like one to two being an octave and one to three and one to five, etc. All these various harmonic ratios, these sounds that are so lovely to our ears, these harmonies that are so lovely to our ears are also harmonious mathematically. Mathematics seems to be incarnated, as it were, in music. And so this early kind of education to Plato was musique, and it was a kind of education that was inspired, if you will, by the muses. Uh, there was this Greek legend and myth of the nine muses. There was a muse of history, a muse of, of dancing, a, a muse of choral singing. There was a muse of poetry. There was a, a kind of muse even of astronomy. And these muses were thought to, as it were, inspire a kind of musical education that included poetry, songs, the songs of a people, the poems, of course, the literature, the plays, the music and the dancing, even the lovely observation and naming of the constellation of stars. This was all a part of a musical education. And it's deeply related to the concept of scole, because scole is a kind of context, a kind of sacred set-apart time for being able to study the things that are most worthwhile, to be able to study the harmony in the universe, the given harmony that we would want to conform our own souls to, to become a harmony ourselves. This is the Greek way of thinking about it. Isn't that spectacular? And as you'll see in the next podcast, the early church looked at these kinds of ideas and said, you're, you're largely right, Plato. But of course, one thing you lacked. You lack the knowledge of the great harmonizer, Christos, Christ himself. But I'm getting ahead of myself. For Plato, the world was a kind of living museum accessible through the practice of scole. However, for Plato, it was only available to a select few. And if you've read Plato's Republic, you'll get that sense that certainly the slaves can't get this kind of education. It's only the citizens of the polis who have a chance to get this kind of education. Um, you can read more about this, by the way, in a great book, The Liberal Arts Tradition by Kevin Clark and Ravi Jain. Their second edition describes these things quite well. And there's another really good contemporary book that I want to mention to you at this point. It's called The Age of Martha, A Call to Contemplative Learning in a Frenzied Culture. And you'll hear more about that book, particularly in the podcast about Scole in the ecclesial tradition. 
That book is written by Devin O'Donnell. Uh, both these books are published by Classical Academic Press. Well, after Plato, we come to Aristotle, who followed Plato. Aristotle lived from about 384 to 322 BC, and he was a student of Plato. Um, he saw Scolé as a kind of spark of the divine that is in human beings. He said it's, it's, it's a part of what the gods were able to enjoy. The gods could enjoy Scolé, and the fact that humans could enjoy it even to some degree was evidence of a spark of the divine in human beings. To engage in Scolé was to be like the divine gods who had the time and the luxury for leisurely contemplation or scholae. Unlike Plato, for Aristotle, he believed that scholae should not be limited to just a select few, but he believed in a kind of democratization of scholae, in which people throughout the polis could engage in leisurely learning or scholae with like-minded friends. And I want to just read you a passage from Aristotle. It's from his uh, Politics, his book Politics, books or chapter 7 of the Politics, just to get a sense of the way he speaks about this. Now, the English translation of scholae is normally leisure, but I'm going to use the word scholae for each occurrence of scholae. The rest, of course, will be English. He writes, We fulfill our nature not only when we work well, but when we use scolae well. For I must repeat what I've said before, that scolae is the initiating principle of all achievements. Granted that work and scolae are both necessary, yet scolae is the desired end for which work is done. And this raises the question of how we ought to employ our scolae. Not by merely amusing ourselves, obviously, for that would be to set up amusement as the chief end of life. You see, for Aristotle, he thinks that scholae is the chief end of life, this leisurely restful learning. And if we were to substitute amusement, well, how sad would that be? In fact, the Greek word for amusement is interesting to you, and I think it'll be interesting to you, it certainly is to me. It's related to musike and the Greek word musa, which meant muse. Because amusia, amusement, meant to be without the inspiration of the muses, to be without musike. So, certainly, we wouldn't want amusement, amusia. We would want musike, we would want scolae, we would want theoria, and we'd want to be able to contemplate and enjoy the true, the good, and the beautiful with our friends. Aristotle, however, does not disparage wage-earning work, but he says that work and amusement cannot be the fitting ends for human aspiration in life. The highest end is the right employment of scholae. Well, now, as soon as I say he doesn't disparage work, uh, well, maybe I should qualify that comment just a little bit, but we'll get to that. So, I've just done a brief summary of Homer, Plato, and Aristotle and their description of scholae, or scholae in the classical Greek tradition. There's some other writers who do a, a very good job of helping us to understand this classical tradition. In particular, Joseph Pieper, the German Catholic philosopher, 
who lived from 1904 to 1997. Yes, he lived through World War II. Pieper is concerned that we do not get swallowed up by the total world of work. And as the Germans were rebuilding after World War II, they were very busy. You might know the Germans are historically, traditionally, a very industrious people, and they were working quite hard to rebuild after World War II. And it, it was at this time that Pieper is writing and saying, be careful, because we might allow work to squeeze out our scole, our leisurely learning, our contemplation, our theoria, the things that are really the highest things in life. Not that work is bad, but when it swallows up our scole, we live in a kind of discord. We lose a harmony of soul. In our own modern digital and technological age, don't we face a similar problem? It can be difficult for us to withdraw from great distraction, to withdraw from our own form of the total world of work so that we might engage in scole. Well, let me give you just a little uh, review or outline of some of the Greek words that relate to work in scole. I think this will be helpful to you. I've already told you that amusia meant to be without inspiration. Well, here's another negative Greek word. It's ascolia. Ascolia is kind of the opposite of skole. If skole is leisurely learning, restful learning, ascolia, note that A at the beginning, meaning a kind of contradiction or lack of something. Ascolia meant a want of skole. It meant occupation, business, in industry. But just note that the way the Greeks used words, skole was the positive thing, and work meant not being nor not enjoying skole. They valued skole as a primary goal in life, and when work was necessary, it was called not enjoying skole. It was called ascolia, or the opposite of skole. Then there's another Greek word for Toil, it was ponos. Ponos meant task, work, hard work, toil, drudgery. Ponos could even mean suffering, grief, and sorrow. So, skole was one of the things that the Greeks worked for. In other words, they worked in order that they might enjoy skole. But, of course, for the Greeks at this time in history, their view of ponas, or work, was distorted by their own enslavery of others because they had slaves take on most of the ponas. And we can't follow them there. Of course not. Another Greek word, diagoge, which meant the passing of time or pastime. It could mean amusement and recreation. Now, recreation can be refreshment can be refreshing. Uh, Think, for example, of uh, having a picnic and then maybe engaging in a game of touch football or ultimate frisbee. That could be a pastime, an amusement, recreation. Aristotle thought that these kinds of activities were good as they gave us a chance to refresh and recharge. But often, we were being recharged in order that we might go back to work. And this would be a problem if we only enjoyed recreation for the purpose of work rather than 
to enable us to be liberated to enjoy skole. Another Greek word that you might enjoy knowing is thaumadzein, which means to wonder, to be at wonder at something. You may have heard that Aristotle has said that all education or knowing begins in wonder. That wonder is, is that first step to pursuing an education. When we find ourselves looking up, say, at the starry heavens and saying something like this, twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. Like a diamond in the sky. You know, you, that is wonder, and it's also a confession of ignorance. We may be astonished to see something like the starry heavens at night, but along with that astonishment is this recognition that we don't know, we don't understand the stars and their movements and how they got there, etc. Well, for Aristotle, wonder does lead to knowledge, and it also leads to eudaimonia, which is another Greek word, and eudaimonia means happiness. That uh, prefix eu means good, and daimonia is related to a word that means spirit. It, it's a state of kind of, of blessedness and happiness. Well, wonder is the beginning. Eudaimonia may be the end, and through the, the, the means and process involves theoria, that kind of contemplation that we talked about earlier. There's another Greek word for you. Theoria, contemplation or intellectual seeing. And just to go a bit further with some, some Greek for you, uh, this happened within a part of the human being called the noose. It was a, a part of the mind, if you will, that discerns deep first, first principle things. But all of this would occur in the context of skole. Well, just to mention a couple other words, paideia, paideia in Greek means play, childlike activity. The Greek word pais paidos meant child, and so paideia was what children love to do, and of course, they love to play. Think of our English words pediatrician and pedagogy. A pediatrician is a physician who, who treats children a paispaidos, and pedagogy is a reference to leading a child. Our teaching methods, as it were, help lead a child to understand and know things that are good, true, and beautiful. Well, there's another Greek word that sounds a lot like paideia, and it's paideia. Paideia is another Greek word for education. And whereas musike referred to the education of a young child, uh, seeking and achieving a kind of harmony, paideia meant the full cultivation of a human being from a child to an adult uh, who had attained virtue or erete, who was in the Greek mind ready to vote in the Greek assembly of the polis or city-state. So paideia is a rich Greek word that means full cultivation, the full achievement of virtue, uh, in a human being. It's a word that's picked up by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6 when he says, Fathers, do not exasperate 
your children, but raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, or the fear and discipline of the Lord, or the fear and paideia kuryu, the paideia of the Lord. We'll talk more about that next week when we look at skole in the church or ecclesial tradition. I've already mentioned Joseph Pieper. I think it would be appropriate to close with some thoughts and a quotation from Joseph Pieper. It's his book, Leisure, the Basis of Culture, which could be titled Skole, the Basis of Culture, which does such a remarkable job of refamiliarizing us with this deep tradition of Skole. In the preface to his English edition, Pieper writes this. He says, Culture depends for its very existence on leisure or scole, and scole or leisure in its turn is not possible unless it has a durable and consequently living link with the cultus, that is, with divine worship. He goes on, The word cult in English is used exclusively or almost exclusively in a derivative sense, but here... It is something else than and something more than religion. It really means fulfilling the ritual of public sacrifice. That is a notion which contemporary modern man associates almost exclusively and unconsciously with uncivilized, primitive peoples and with classical antiquity. For that very reason, it is of the first importance to see that the cultus, now as in the distant past, is the primary source of man's freedom, independence, and immunity within society. Suppress that last sphere of freedom, and freedom itself and all our liberties will in the end vanish into thin air. Culture, in the sense in which it is used above, is the quintessence of all the natural goods of the world and of those gifts and qualities which, while belonging to man, lie beyond the immediate sphere of his needs and wants. All that is good in this sense, all man's gifts and faculties, are not necessarily useful in a practical way, though there is no denying that they belong to a truly human life, not strictly speaking necessary, even though he could not do without them. Here Pieper is pointing out that it is a sphere of worship, or what he calls public sacrifice, where humanity recognizes those things that are so essential to enjoying being a human, even while they are above us, that give us freedom. He says it's uh, those gifts and qualities which lie beyond the immediate sphere of our needs and wants. In other words, it's not just the pragmatic. It's not just that which is of a utilitarian good. That is what blesses us and and enables us to enjoy and exult in our humanity. For example, when you put flowers on your dinner table, this is a small, maybe mundane example of us enjoying something good and beautiful that might be of no real economic good. It might be of no discernible, practical, pragmatic value, 
In this vein, I'm thinking of what Chesterton says when he says that the most pragmatic thing that we need is not to be pragmatists. In other words, it's very useful not to be focusing only on usefulness or utility. Pieper is a master at getting at this uh, notion, and he sees that it was the Greeks who first noted this about being human, that if all we thought about was work and economics and practical goods, we would diminish and shrink our own humanity and our experience as human beings. To live a truly human life is to live in some important ways in a sphere that is beyond just our needs and wants, our practical needs and wants. This was the great Greek insight uh, that was, as we'll see, affirmed by the church. In fact, we'll see in our next podcast that St. Basil says that the Christian reinterpretation of Scole is prayer, that prayerful contemplation is the fulfillment of the Greek ideal of Scole. Those kind of ideas and some really interesting other ideas that the uh, Christian church brought to this idea of Scole will be for our consideration in our next podcast when we look at Scole in the ecclesial tradition. I'll talk to you then. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.